I always think like whatever we have can be gone tomorrow if we don't do the right thing or try to, because we don't always, right? None of us do. And you don't have as much time as you think to make that impact. On this first episode, we have Anthony Grubo joining us. Anthony had a wide established career where he'd gone from a construction worker to a international CEO. Most recently as the CEO of Marsh International, one of the largest insurance brokerages in the country. Now as the executive chairman of Vantage, which is an investment firm. And we talk about things like establishing a culture in an unfamiliar environment, having it you know, do turn around and changing a culture from country to country listening to all the different cultural aspects that blend together, especially when you're running a global organization. And then thinking like the mindset required to really lead and lead culture and be a culture champion. And we go through some additional details about his insights. Hopefully you'll enjoy the show as much as I did. I found it very valuable. Today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Anthony Grupo, who I've had the pleasure of getting to know personally. He we probably first met in 2010. But since then, Anthony's done some remarkable things when it comes to culture. I feel like Anthony's probably one of the best people we could have on. So Anthony, appreciate you jumping on. Thanks, Zane. Glad to be here. Really privileged. I'd love for you to give a 60-second intro, if you don't mind, so they can understand just your background. I know it's hard to do in 60 seconds with everything you've accomplished. No, thanks. I certainly can do that for you. My entire career has been in the insurance industry, from being an insurance producer to an international CEO. And I've been blessed to have authored seven books and do a lot of speaking engagements. And I think one of the things we're most proud of is that Linda and I, Linda, my partner, we founded and funded the Grupo Family Foundation just about a year ago to serve, to be able to give grants and donations to organizations, not-for-profits that support autism and also senior services. So speaker, author, entrepreneur, insurance executive, and founder. That was less than 60 seconds. That was less than 60 seconds. I feel like I have to add most recent CEO of Marsh International. I mean, how many employees were you overseeing as CEO of that? Currently, I serve as executive chair for Vantage Insurance Partners, an investment firm in the insurance industry. It's been six months. And when I was with Marsh Commercial and the Marsh organization, I had 3,000 employees in the United Kingdom, in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. So 3,000 employees, about 65 locations. I really enjoyed being an expat and living in the United Kingdom. When I hear that and just think about the context of how much from a cultural perspective, when you come in into that type of role, that's a big part of why I feel like this conversation will be so valuable. Just understanding, you know, how do you think about the context when you're from day one of culture and building a culture when you got that much scale or that many people that you're impacting every single day? That question is very deep rooted, isn't it? Because Certainly as an American CEO going into a foreign country, there were certain parts of culture I needed to be able to ascertain, adapt to, and then be able to create flexible, innovative solutions. But it's the same as being a boy from Pennsylvania who first went to New York City or a New York City executive who went to LA or an LA executive that went to Houston, You know those parts of my career. So Texas has a culture, New York has a culture, California has a culture. And then also weld into that just the culture of people's behavioral makeup. So I always try to just see the value in everyone and everything. I've never lived or worked somewhere that wasn't a great adventure, no matter how tough the situation may have been that I was going to. And that 
everybody has pride in their beliefs and their thought systems. And it's not about who's right. It's about what's right. And when you do what's right for people, then culture becomes a living organism of behavior. When you have ego in the way of your brain, or you don't respect others' thoughts and ideas, then you will become a victim of your own culture that's been illy fitted. That is a very deep-rooted question when I look at your experiences. But when I think about the context of what I know about you and what I've been fortunate to learn from you, from the concept of a turnaround, or at the end of the day, it's like you're looking at and taking what is our culture today before you step in that role, right? And then a lot of it's personal. When you think of culture and where you wanted it to go, I'll call that one specific executive role of taking over Marsh International and the concept of actually saying, okay, I wanted to go here. How did you make that happen? Yeah. So a lot of points of my career were to be sent to fix something that wasn't working properly or growing the right way or had people problems or leadership issues or whatever the case may be. Think of it as a moment saying as a trident, right? A three-point trident is that the first thing I always did was get to know the people. And 3,000 people can seem like an overwhelming number, but the truth is, is that when you start to get on the trains and go visit a location in Dunedin or as large as London or some small village in, in Shropshire, England, you have to make yourself very visible and hear exactly what the people are facing. I always spend my initial time doing that, not sitting in a boardroom listening to my senior executives telling me what they think think it is. Not that their opinion is, is going to be incorrect or clouded or colored, but it, it's theirs, whereas the, is to hear the people. So the first thing in culture, the second part of the trident is I always ask individuals is, what are you doing that's absurd? What does this company ask of you? That's absurd. And they look at you like great confusion, right? But then they start to tell you the triple work, the double work, the mistreatment or whatever, or maybe a corporate bully that happens to be somewhere in the playground you'll start to hear things. And then you combine that, the third part of the trial is you combine that with what you actually hear from others or what you can see. So that's where culture has too often become this blanket to throw over the top of a problem to say, well, change everything but me. Because change is at the heart of culture, isn't it? We can't stop it. It's always going to happen, but it becomes the hardest part. So change, for me, we talk about culture and change. Change is for everyone. But evolution is for the motivated. Are you really evolving as a person, as a leader, as a professional, or are you merely just holding in place and letting the wave move you around? So changes for everyone, evolution is for the motivated, and then you become productive, not just busy, animated, but you become animated and productive in everything you do. And then culture becomes part of your makeup not a buzzword to use when it's appropriate. I'd love to go deeper into what you just described. Even that quote of evolution is for the motivated. So when I think about that, it's okay. I'm thinking the concept of walking, you know, you got 3000 people, you got to somehow understand and get them to feel comfortable to be able to talk to you in a culture might where it had been before they might've been scared because there could have been repercussions for talking and there are all sorts of different circumstances. So how do you walk in and you have that presence day one to say where they can authentically feel that it's okay to tell you what they're feeling? I'm not afraid 
of expressing my own vulnerabilities or what I'm uncertain of. CEOs have this mistake and a mystique of, I can't be wrong, I can't show doubt, whatever that situation is. I just don't feel that way. People ask me, I really have no idea. Look, I just got here in country and I'm trying to figure this out. And what are your thoughts on something? Otherwise, instead of having to think I have to have the answer. So that's the first thing is to express that vulnerability of, I don't have all the answers, but together we do and we'll figure it out. But the other thing is to be really tough in the fact that make your decision, stick with it. Don't waffle or faff about as the Brits would say. And make it clear that I will break the tie, I will handle the impossible question, and we will move forward. Because there are people that paralyze themselves. Sometimes committees are for people who can't make decisions. So let's keep it in committee. Let's keep it talking about it. Nothing happens. So what happens then to the people is that they're like, well, leadership doesn't know what they're doing. Why aren't they moving forward? Like, why isn't this happening? And then the culture becomes camps. Certain camps are developed. It's not hard because there's only so many personalities. After you've seen X personalities, it doesn't matter what their accent is or what country they're from. There's only so many personalities. There's a passive aggressive, there's a hostile, there's a lazy, there's, well, eventually you've seen them all and you know what to do with them and you move on. It's not as overwhelming as it may seem. When you think of what a successful culture for you, when you're like, okay, I can feel that it's becoming what I want it to become. Do you come walk in and you already know in advance of what you're intending to have that culture become mm-hmm. in any role. I mean, you've been the CEO of a variety of companies. So they say culture is a byproduct of what you as the CEO either tolerate or lead by the role or the model that you set. How do you define culture? Unless people continue or seek to duplicate what you and your team established when you were there, then it was never a pinnacle of greatness. It was never something that was going to continue to grow. It's just that you filled that space. And because you were in that role or title, people acted in their job because you were in charge. That's not a good culture, right? So it's not about me. It's not about the culture I perceive it to be. It's what can all of us together maximize our potential as a group so that Things like inclusion and diversity, it's such a big thing now, but it always was. Like, I'm saddened sometimes to see how it's a punch list and a buzzword and a step in a strategic plan of a company to be more diverse and be more inclusive. But why weren't you thinking like that anyway as a human being, let alone a leader of a company? I knew that going back decades, unless we were diverse and we had different thought leadership, and people from different cultures and experiences, how could we ever be great if we didn't represent humanity as it was? If we were just going to be a room filled with the same people that looked the same, acted the same, how were we ever going to be smarter? My outcome showed that when I was able to put at least 85% of my leadership team, right, being made of women and people of color and the diversification, we did well. We excelled. Now, could that be tied to that? I think so. Because inclusion isn't a new thing. It's attention to people who did the wrong thing. So to me, that culture becomes that movement of that embrace of each other. Now, there are going to be those who no matter what, they're going to be a problem. There is no culture that can protect the underachiever. 
Whether you work from home or you work in an office, the underachiever will find a way to beat you. If a leader can walk through a row of cubicles and all of a sudden their body energy can change that screen from insurance technical work to shoe shopping on Amazon. Wow, that's amazing, right? I had that power. I could walk down and I would see screens change because they felt that they shouldn't be looking at Amazon or something or shopping for their child's new backpack. And I'd say, I don't care what you have on your screen as long as you get the results. But there are people who are afraid of conflict, afraid of dealing with a tough person. They back off from telling someone you're not doing a good job and here's why. And then the good worker, the good colleague, the good employee is like, why would I stay here? This culture isn't one that's inclusive, the real inclusion. It's not inclusive of consistent expectations and accountability. It's one of favoritism or it's one of, we have weak leaders who don't want to talk to tough people. So then the corporate bullies allowed to survive. They exact their revenge on others because they're not capable. They're just bullies. They attack the weak. So Every time I've been sent somewhere to fix something, it's because it started at the leadership level. A fish starts to stink at its head. So you got to take action. That's culture. It's not cute. It's not soft. It's not this little, beautiful little poem on a linen paper. It is a real tough mindset of change, evolution, and telling people exactly what you think and what you expect. I appreciate that. I think that what I've gotten to know about you, the intentionality around culture that you've always had, I hear it every time I've talked to you about this and I've had the fortune of talking to you prior to this where I've learned a lot from you directly. So thank you. One of the things I guess is in understanding the concept of culture, because you have a very well-developed sense of what needs to be done in a variety of different circumstances. How did you learn what you learned? Did you have someone that coached you in the process? I did not. In a time when I came through in the business, there wasn't the world of mentors. I certainly am a product of having been around very good people and then those that weren't. And I could see the differences. But I think it comes down to how you're raised or how you think or how you want to be treated or whatever. Because I didn't come from anything special as in my family or child, right? I had just a beautiful family parents and sibling and grew up in a very small town. But when I say I don't come from anything special, none of us do. Whether you're the child of a seamstress or sewing machine operator, and my father was a welder, I guess where I see the problems are people who, for some reason, have this entitlement or think there's something that they're not or their wealth or pedigree or school, or they try to label themselves based on unreal expectations of reality. You see it on social media all the time, don't you? You see people that try to make their life look in their postings. Is that's why I'm always amazed how people stand sideways. Their lips are always in a kissing position. Their right leg is a little bit higher than the left leg to make their butt look higher and tighter and whatever it is. It's hilarious, right? It's great entertainment, social media, because you see the sadness of it. It's certain great value. I mean, we all use it a lot, but you see the sadness of it also. They'll put their lives at risk on a bike in a ramp to get a follower. So, what you start to see then is that pattern of, I think I just was a product of some real hard life experiences and you just decide what you want to be. In the social media part you mentioned, it's amazing how much people lack authenticity on those platforms to just show you what appears to be a beautiful life, not reality. 
it's meant to do that to people, right? Because the thing is, instead of all of us saying on social media venue, we're all a work in progress. We're constantly making improvements and we'll always the rest of our lives. We have to post that it's already perfect and we have the perfect children. I appreciate that response. Was you saying that you didn't have a coach or you didn't have a mentor? If you could go back right when you started your career, knowing what you know today, what advice would you give to the young Anthony Grupo Sr.? He's still listening to the same advice. I would say this. Don't take yourself so seriously. You're more ready than you think you are for the challenge of right now. And you don't have as much time as you think. Wow, that's deep. I appreciate that. That's an everyday thing. Because if you look at the psychological profiles of individuals, whether it's on the profiles or calibers or whatever those behavioral science techniques they might use, you're going to see the same pattern in people like me. Two things. One is don't take this man to a China shop. <laughs> And every day he wakes up thinking he starts at zero. So I always think like whatever we have can be gone tomorrow if we don't do the right thing or try to, because we don't always, right? None of us do. And you don't have as much time as you think to make that impact. One of the biggest things I loved about both your books and everything I've learned through you is the fact that it's almost everything is day one. You don't look at your prior successes at all. You think that everything is a, it's a brand new challenge, it's a brand new day. And you have that contagiousness about the journey of learning, right? You're always looking to learn from other people. And that is noticed in your presence, noticed in a conversation. So, no, thank you. Usually, all of us are four people. We should always be lifetime learners and always studying something that is completely foreign to us. And we have a new thing to grasp. Like, I am totally enamored with and really trying to learn a lot about AI because I think there's so much that potentialists can do. Although I understand the fear of it, I think there is so much that it can do. Because if humanity can get back its time to create and think versus just perform task, then we probably can outshine all our past, right? And create even better future generation. So I don't fear it, but I seek to understand it. So there's four of us, right? We are facilitators in life. We're facilitating a life that we're living, that we're going through. And that facilitation is intense, right? It's hard. Like you have young children. I'm fortunate that mine are adults and have granddaughters and there's that facilitation of a life. Then there's the strategy of a life. And if the two sound similar, it's, it's intentional. Is that when I created Six Degrees, the model for businesses, it also is a model for people. So if we're going to be strategists and facilitators, then we're also to be consultative. That's the third person is that we're consultants in our lives around others. And do you ever notice how people love to hear the drama and pain others suffer? Look at reality TV or whatever it might be, or the gossip. People will gravitate to watch the demise of another. Like it's filled with our news, more bad than good, because then your life doesn't seem so tough if somebody else has it tougher. What is that about? So we're consulted, consultative in our lives. We're strategists, we're facilitators, and finally we're closers. Closers in a sense that we have to make decisions, we have to find the path, we have to move on because we all have an expiration date, don't we? We just don't know when it is, but we all have one. We do. And actually, like, as I go through each comment, like what you just said, those four, I now actually use from a filtering mechanism on anyone that I'm looking at on my leadership team. Yeah. And so like when I'm looking at them, I'm like, okay, are they able to facilitate? Are they coaches? Are they consultants? And are they closers? And sometimes closers can mean internal and external buy-in or can they close business or can they write new accounts? It just depends on the circumstance, but the reality, it's the ability for them to, and from my view, it's like I set the tone and I set the pace 
or I'm expected to set the tone and set the pace. And a big part of that is making sure that my team can bring different vantage points so that we can build that culture from the bottom up. And to me, that's always been a servant leadership mentality. Yeah, yeah. But I think that to do that effectively, you need those four characteristics. So I've learned so much from you. And I know for the audience, they don't know this, but you spent meaningful time helping me in my role. And I've learned directly from you. So I think because you've had a meaningful impact on my life, I just wanted to ask you. So to, the fact that you did not mm. have a mentor or coach is even more remarkable. It would take me a couple of days to think through and come up with the clarity of what you just mentioned. I would have to sit down and spend a lot of quality thinking time, right? Because to me, the culture, it has to be so intentional and it feels like it comes so natural for you. So it's remarkable you did that without guidance. Because I've been around a lot of great people, ones that I can emulate and I can see pieces of certain things and then those that I knew were problematic. Because when it comes to culture, whenever I failed people, it's because I had failed myself first. People don't take their role hoping to do a bad job. That's not what happened, but something beats them down or insecurities or whatever might happen, or it was oh, too overwhelming, or they couldn't self-heal their cuts, and they become fixated on their own issue versus those of others. But whenever I failed, it's because I probably failed myself first. When you say you probably failed yourself first, if that happened, is that meaning these are professional experiences or it could be professional, it could be personal? Oh, they're both. Because what happens in a life is that when you go to take on additional challenges, you find out that there are going to be casualties, that you're going to have to make hard decisions. And you're also going to find out you can't take everyone with you. Some of those people that were friends in some stage of your life probably aren't going to be there for every stage of your life. Some will, the great ones, but others won't because they're going to take their own prejudice, concerns, their own beliefs that maybe just can't travel with you. That's unfortunate we see now, isn't it? We see this sides being formed all the time. Blue state, red state, whatever it might be. China, US. We see these sides being taken. And should someone have an opinion that doesn't go with that other camp, then they're not even listened to anymore. It's tragic. So when I say that you fail yourself is that when you become so walled over, you wear so much armor that you enter the battle every day of life that you then forget who is under the armor to begin with. So better you take the armor off and become more of a fleet-footed traveler, scantily clothed, and embrace what life will look like than the heavy-plated armor that you may not feel the sting, but you'll never feel the enjoyment of it all. I know I can and would be able to spend three, four hours probably talking to you about each one of these answers, have so much depth to them. But to me, the concept of a culture champion, the first person that I wanted to bring on was you because in each role you've taken on, it's been very clear that that is what you are. I'm deeply honored that you have even considered me for your show and the fact that you're doing this and offering it to others is a testimony to your leadership. And I congratulate you on that. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. And I think for the audience, if in case they have any questions, is there any way you'd like them to, to reach out in particular? I'll just give you my email. That's sometimes easy. It's just Anthony Grupo at yahoo.com. G-R-U-P-P-O, Anthony Grupo at yahoo.com. 
and I'll respond to everyone. I promise that. And we will drop that in the show notes as well so that people can have access to that. But again, Anthony, thank you for your time. I look forward to having you back. My pleasure, Zane. Thank you. Congratulations again. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Culture Champions podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You'll find links to any resources mentioned in the show notes. If you're enjoying our show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And if you have someone you'd like to hear on the show or a topic you'd like to see covered, please email pat.davisbryant at risktag.com.